Are you up for this? How are you? Look, I just need to know, because the city is, is flying. Okay, look, the city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. But I'm going back out there because it's my job. Okay, and I can't do my job and babysit. Doesn't matter what you did or what you were. If you go out there, you fight, and you fight to kill. Stay in here, you're good. I'll send your brother to come find you, but if you step out that door, you are an Avenger. Welcome to the MCU Gauntlet, a podcast unlike any other MCU podcast. Our gauntlet takes us on a journey from Captain America, the first Avenger, all the way to Spider-Man Far From Home. Along the way, we break down each film and ultimately rank the film within the 23 MCU films we have to date. I'm your host, Luke Shoemaker, and with me, as always, is Graham Ultron Thomas. Graham, let's, let's, just, let's just jump straight into it. Which Quicksilver is better on screen, the one we get here or the one we get in X-Men? I hope this doesn't upset you, but I really kind of enjoyed the Quicksilver we got in X-Men Days of Future Past. I'm with you. I completely, I completely agree. Not that this one was, was bad by any means, but I just felt like the one we had in, in, that, in that X-Men movie was, was really good. Um, and what's really sad though, is I can't remember if he was in X-Men Apocalypse and I saw this movie. He was. I never even, I never, never even watched the, the last X-Men movie, which I need to, to catch up on. But, um, can we go ahead and jump right to the snap and, you know, decide that we're not going to kill off Quicksilver because I think the character has lots of potential, you know, he can do, he's like the, you know, the Marvel version of the Flash can do so many different things and we're going to kill him right in the first movie. I think it may have been as far as Marvel studios was concerned, like a huge screw you to X-Men since at that time to Fox, I guess, since Fox still owned X-Men at the time. And it was like, well, you have yours in your universe. Ours is currently the more popular universe. We'll just go ahead and kill him. But I if we can hash it out right now, I want to snap him. He's just not as great in any way, shape, or form as the as the kid we get in X Men. Even how they yeah. use the character, like the scenes where Quicksilver and X Men has slowed everything down, and it's uh, comparable to Flash. But how he's like walking on the walls and moving things around—that's awesome. And they had moments in this movie they could have done that, and instead he's just like the he's like the Road Runner. It's just like beep beep, and he's moving around. Was the, the dual rights of his character sort of like Spider-Man or, or did they each actually have, you know, a Quicksilver copyright? I think it was one of those dual situations. Um, it's kind of like they were going to try to have Wolverine and Magneto in the first Avenger because of the timeline being World War II. You could have made it work and they didn't. Um uh, I don't think they came to an agreement type thing. Mm. Well, regardless, you know, I now I'm wanting to go back and watch watch his performance in the 
in the X-Men movie. You know, that it's, it's ironic. That's what I was wanting to do after uh, I wrote the notes down, but that's kind of what happened. So, Well, we'll get into straight into opening thoughts and information. Like, uh, what a great day when I went and watched this for the first time. On that day, both our girls and boys soccer team had won their quarterfinal games. And, you know, we're on our way to the semifinals. And that's big, you know, because the boys had vanquished some demons that day by beating the Mountain Home Bombers who had eliminated them the year before. And, you know, the girls were working on trying to repeat. And we went to the theater that night, uh, which is, of course, as you have touched on, as I have touched on, that's a tradition uh, around that time to get the kids off their feet, get them in the theater. And always seems to work out that it's a Marvel movie. I loved it. Kids loved it. Uh, you know, it was fun to get that whole team back together on screen and finding their element. And then, you know, this time, this I think this is the third time I've watched this movie. And I think out of all the movies, this does the most incredible job of setting the table for the rest of the MCU. Like, it sets up Black Panther. It's setting up some of the, like infighting we have with civil war it sets up the sokovia core you know there's so many little things and even the name of Endgame they pulled from the quote in this movie like it's just great for it was just a great job in that regards they had great vision no pun intended now all of that being said it has some problems or it has some issues which obviously because joss whedon never went on to make another movie yeah and and I, we'll get into that a little bit later, I think, about whether that's right or wrong. Um, so, first of all, I'm trying to figure out how I didn't get invited to go to the movies. I mean, what gives Chuck Jones? Um, I, I'll ask I was you. there that day. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on now. I like the Avengers. Yeah, um, that's the same day Brian Nitz was going off on the ref about the weather and the ref just uh, just blew up on him, I think. Maybe it was the next day. It might have been the next day, but... Yeah, it was a... It was a I, I remember that day, though. That was yeah. one of the most epic Brian Nitz moments ever. <laughs> um, I do not... I, I think I probably went and saw this movie at, a, at one of those Thursday night specials out at the Asylum 6 probably right before state tournament. So probably opening night. Um, I don't have any recollection though, the first watch of it, but I will say that my opinion of age of Ultron has only gotten better with every rewatch. So the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, ah, you know, it was okay. It was good. Okay. Good. I think it's gotten better and improved because, um, I just thought it fell well short of the first Avengers, the number one movie in my MCU gauntlet. And it still falls short, but every time I watch it, I see something from it that I hadn't seen before. And I know that may be weird to some people, but it's like this time when I watched it and somehow this has slipped me by every time I've seen it. But the infinity stone has been Loki's scepter the whole time. I mean, and I've got no excuse for you why I didn't get that first first times or, or forgot it you know maybe i got it and just like oh well what important you know it's just a stone Who cares? right and they don't really i mean think this is obviously the last time the scepter is shown 
and it's not until you get to end game and Cap gets it and has that awesome moment with where he says, Hell Hydra. But yeah, I mean, at the time, it was weird to think the whole time there it was. Like, I'm with you. I completely, first time I watched that, I don't even think I was focused on that part of it. Right. I mean, so it was fun to go back and rewatch it and kind of fit more pieces together, you know? And that that's actually happening in a lot of these movies as we go through them. Oh, yeah. In retrospect, when you see, especially now that we're getting deeper and deeper into Disney, you know, owning this and, and being able to have a lot of control in their long-term plan, it, it, everything starts to make a lot more sense. Uh, released May 1st, 2015. Domestically brings in $459 million, making it fifth all-time in that regards. It brings in $1.4 billion worldwide. Now, well, now we've gotten into the numbers you've been talking about on previous pods. Yep, we're on the, we're on the 10-digit numbers now, and that's um, that's a lot of money. Oh, yeah, this is it's stupid money, and it's why um, this is such a successful franchise cast uh, we'll start with i mean obviously on our avengers pod we talked about most of the avengers uh, now we'll get into some of the newer additions in this movie we'll start with our villain uh james spader give me some thoughts on him as ultron well you know i've really got a great appreciation for james spader and the job he did as ultron in this film um prior to last summer my james spader experience consisted of stargate and ultron and uh, then the wife and I binge watched The Office, and what was it in the late in season seven and into season eight? You know, you get to meet James Spader as Robert California, and and I just all I could hear while listening to him as Robert California was Ultron, and you know, now putting that all that together and who it is, um, because you know the James Spader we get as Ultron, even as Robert California, doesn't look anything like the James Spader we had in Stargate. But um, I don't know that I can imagine any other voice being Ultron because he did such a good job with it. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. He's two, two, two memories of Spader when I was a younger boy. You know, First, he's the awesome scientist in Stargate, like you touched on. And I was, gosh, I was tiny. But then I also, you know, I used to watch Seinfeld religiously. <laughs> And he plays, he has a cameo appearance as Jason Hankey. And it's called, the episode is called The Apology. And it has, there's this big thing with him and George Costanza. And it's incredible. And then he didn't pop up again for me until, you know, my mom and I, we watched a lot of television together as kind of a bonding thing. And she, she loved uh, Boston Legal. And I thought, man, this guy's funny. He's, you know, he's, he's pretty awesome. It'd be great to see him in more movies. And then, you know, he shows up in the movie Lincoln, but my big thing is Blacklist. The show Blacklist comes out, and that was what officially, that was like my, that and House of Cards were my binge-watching coming-of-age shows. Like, that's when I first really started to understand what binge-watching something meant. And he's a fabulous antihero. Like, a guy you could, I mean... Outside of Walter White, he's one of the best like bad guys you actually want to root for, even though he's doing terrible things. Uh, and I love I love him as Raymond Reddington, like the same tone he carries himself as Ultron. It's how he carries himself in this movie. And 
honestly, the first time I heard the trailer and I, I'm talking about hearing it, I wasn't looking at a screen. I thought it was a blacklist promo. He has an outstanding voice. Uh, I think it was a perfect selection for this iconic comic book villain because it is, I mean, it's just a voiceover and they needed someone that could do what he does with the character. Yep. And I, um, I don't know. I think I saw this in the Tribune. I don't want to spoil it, but I guess I'm going to. But apparently, you know, after he did his first line with him, the you know the cast applauded him. He was so good at it. So, I mean, that's you know, he's a very talented individual. Uh, next up, we have Elizabeth Olsen uh, playing Scarlet Witch. Uh, she is the younger sister of yes, the Olsen twins. Um, first time I ever saw her was an old boy with Josh Brolin and a fellow MCUer that we discussed on a previous episode. And she was pretty solid in that movie. And then, you know, then boom, she's Scarlet Witch. And I enjoy her character. I enjoy her character much more in later versions than I do in this film, particularly the accents. Just, I think it's rough. Uh, but she's very talented. There's a movie called Wind River. And it was written by the Yellowstone showrunner Taylor Sheridan, and it has you know, Jeremy Renner in it. And I got to think that their dynamite scene in this movie together, you know, helped create that epic film. Uh, for people out there that aren't a huge fan of this character, get over it because she's not going anywhere. You have WandaVision uh, for Disney Plus, and then Doctor Strange 2 will bring her in for what I would assume. Will show more of the mind control. Like, where did that power go in Infinity War and Endgame? She, I don't feel like she uses it at all ever again. You know, I mean, we get a little bit of it in in Civil War. I think with, with well, with her power being able to you know drive Vision you know, fifty floors beneath the surface, and we see a few things here and there, but nothing like we saw in this movie. Um, yeah. Like you, I'm really excited about WandaVision and, and what they can do. I mean, we probably haven't even scratched the surface on her character. She's just been kind of a, you know, a B character so far. So for her to have a prominent role will be uh, will be interesting. You know, and then the, the, the concept of her and Doctor Strange, too. Now, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, he'd have a field day dissecting her mind, I'm sure. <laughs> so, um, even though that's not really what he does, you know, he's... I don't know. It, it's Dr. Strange is, I'm still one I'm getting used to. Um, so, but, uh, you know, I learned, you learn something new every day. I had no idea she was an Olsen twin, one of the uh, sisters of the Olsen twins. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I probably at this point, a more successful career. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, who knows? Who, yeah. Who knows? Um, next up, Paul Bettany. Uh, we've discussed him briefly on Iron Man for all of his voiceover work. Uh, what do you think of him being added in to the cast as, you know, as an actual uh, human being or, well, android? Well, you know, the Iron Man podcast was so long ago, I can't even remember what we <laughs> talked about then. But um, I will say that I've always liked Paul Bettany from the first movie I saw him in, which was A Beautiful Mind a lot of other really good roles since then master and commander da vinci code was really good in solo and uh i was a little late getting to a knight's tale but he's very good in that too and it's good to see him physically in a movie other than just his voice 
a knight's tale. Like, how funny is he in that movie? Like, I mean, I think that when I first time I ever watched those young boy, I thought his role really like helped bring in. I mean, it made it exciting. His role, he's awesome in that. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of, you know, that thinking about a knight's tale and thinking about him, and it also led me thinking about you know the late Heath Ledger and you know what what could he have been in the Marvel universe after he completed his run as the Joker in the DC universe? I mean, there, there could have been something there for him, you know, because that, that role he had in the Joker maybe opened up some, it would have opened up a lot of doors for a lot of different crazy roles. And I'm sad that we'll never get to know, but I almost think that Marvel would have tried to get him into something. For sure. I mean, they've gotten Christian Bell, to come in you know i would imagine that he he would have jumped on in and, and i don't know i mean yeah it would have been great i mean for him to be in this universe would have been great but it also have been great for that trilogy because i don't think they were done with this character and we'll you know we'll never get to know yep um another good role by bettany that is wimbledon and if you haven't watched that, it's not a bad sports rom-com movie that's also directed by pot alum, John Favreau. Uh, he, I, think he's, I think he's great in every role that you just mentioned. And it was nice for him to finally like, take part in the physical world. I wonder how they talked him into it because we discussed how he never watched the movie Iron Man. And then he just recorded the lines. And it's like, hey, by the way, you're going to be this like, iconic you know, the superhero um, that basically saves the day for the Avengers. And he took it. I was glad he took it. And uh, I'm glad it, that they kept all the same sense of humor that Jarvis had in the Vision's character. But we're going to get into some problems we have with what what happened to Vision. This was, <laughs> this yeah. was his peak. Yes, definitely it was. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. So, uh, and then, you know, you got – Andy Serkis and, you know, kind of neat, you know, probably one of the first times I've seen him in a physical role. You know, he's always been a voice, voice guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, (laughs) for our listeners out there, Andy Serkis, probably one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood because you've seen him before. You just haven't realized that he's Gollum and Lord of the Rings. He's Caesar and Planet of the Apes and he's Supreme Leader Snoke in star wars he's the motion capture king it was crazy to finally see him um uh, you know getting to act and I, he's in, i think he's fun like this his couple minutes on screen like the the cuttlefish part was hilarious yeah yep i wanted to use that in the quotes line i didn't do it but you know it was there was so much great ultron quotes i i just let you know i had to go with those instead uh, this is this was hard for me when we get into quotes. Yeah, it was the, one of the most quotable movies. And then with Circus, it's another guy that's going to jump into DC Universe as well when he gets to play Alfred. He's got to be the most rocked-up Alfred there's ever been because in this movie, he seems like he's pretty, like, jacked up. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's I'm, – I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. You know, it's going to be a different take for sure. But, you know, sometimes that's what – Sometimes that's what works. Yeah. You know? We needed it. I mean, we needed He's going to be more jacked up than the guy playing Batman. <laughs> True. I mean, that's, that's for, for our fans out there. Uh, Robert Pattinson uh, is going to play 
Cedric Diggory. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, and Edward Cullen. Edward remember. Cullen. <laughs> uh, director and writer, uh, the same man who gave us Avengers, uh, Joss Whedon. We talked about him a ton on the Avengers pod, and it's such a shame that this movie is what I mean. It got him kicked out of this universe, and then talked about Injustice League. How it got him kicked out of DC, and here's my thing: How can a guy that made a movie that's your number one and my number two be ostracized from comic mo- comic book movies so quickly. I don't understand that either. I mean, you know, in my mind, it was going to be hard to duplicate the success of the first Avengers. I mean, you know, sometimes you just got some magic going and, you know, even James Gunn fell short in the second Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, you just, you just can't. It's hard, you know. Um, I've got my own thoughts about the Justice League. I think he was put in a tough situation, um, you know, and he wasn't able to bring that magic, that Marvel magic to the Justice League. And um, But what happened? You know, I don't know. I mean, I didn't think this movie was bad enough. I really don't think it was bad enough for that to be the case. But It made him a ton of money. Can you imagine making $1.4 billion and then being like, ah. Who did who do you upset? Was it our boy Kevin? Was it was it Favreau? Who who do we make up? Who not, do we upset here? I'm not Robert Downey Jr. Entirely sure. I would. I doubt it. So I doubt it. Maybe it is because Iron Man didn't have the most screen time. So I'll segue that into trivia night. Character screen times, which are always fun in these collaborations, because it kind of kind of shows who they're gauging. It might be some of the fan favorite or how it fits in the story. Uh, number one, your boy, Captain America, with 50 minutes of screen time. Iron Man with 45 minutes. And then you get Black Widow with 33 minutes. Quicksilver with 26. And that goes on and on and on. Uh, shockingly, Thor, only 14 minutes. They must have, I mean, we must be building on the fact that Thor 1 and Thor Dark World were not everyone's favorite, so they just didn't have as much Thor, I guess. I don't know, and I don't, why does Chris Evans get pooped on in the credits? You know, he's like fourth listed behind Robert Downey Jr., Hemsworth, and Mark Ruffalo, I think. I mean, you know, he, I guess guy, he's a better agent or something then. I don't know, but... Um, you know, it, it kind of makes me wonder, does a, does a director's cut exist out there on Age of Ultron where it's like three and a half hours long and, you know, there's something missing. And there's like uh, 30 minutes of Thor in the vision pool. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe 30, you know, 40 minutes of Ultron just having coffee with people, you know, coffee and conversation. Yeah, I mean, he has great, great rhetoric. Um, Another fun fact, uh, Scarlett Johansson, pregnant during filming, which I didn't realize that till doing the research. Uh, they schedule a ton of her scenes on the front end to help hide the, to kind of, you know, before she started showing. Uh, but they ended up having to hire three stunt doubles, and it caused a lot of confusion amongst the cast because they all look so similar to her that Chris Evans stated that it got to the point where he would say hello and start a conversation with one of them only to realize midway through that he wasn't talking to Scarlett Johansson at all. That's incredible. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know, but you know, they, they, they always give her, you know, the, the, the hair, 
And so if you're able to duplicate that and, you know, I, I can see where that could be problematic. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, for sure. Uh, and then this one here is my favorite with James Spader. <laughs> James Spader was originally just going to be Ultron's voice, but he told the filmmakers that for a main character, he deserved to do more than provide a voice. So he took on performing Ultron through motion capture. Luckily, he had the king of motion capture on set who helped him and gave Ruffalo some pointers with Andy Serkis being involved. Another fun fact is that since Ultron's about nine foot tall, Spader's 5'8", they had to kind of adjust to help him with the motion capture. Yeah, it's, I, I love this, though. I like, you know, the, the first time I remember motion capture really being used was Tom Hanks in the um, Polar Express. And, you know, that guy, his character in the motion capture, it looked like Tom Hanks. It looked like him. It acted like him. His, his mannerisms were like him. And I felt that way with Ultron, too. Like, I just, it just seemed like it was James Spader. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. Like, when you're looking at this metallic face, you can kind of see some of Spader in it, as weird as that is sounds. Um, we'll get into the rundown. So this starts, we're in uh, the Eastern European country of Sokovia, obviously fictional, uh, and the Avengers. So you've got, you know, you've got Tony, you've got Cap, you've got Thor, uh, you've got uh, Banner, you've got Romanoff, you have Barton, you have Hawkeye, you know, you have the whole group, and I guess they're they're kind of building up, up upon Winter Soldier because they're trying to break down Hydra, and it's a Hydra outpost, and it's commanded by a Agents of Shield alum, uh, Baron Wolfgang von Strucker, and he's been experimenting on humans using the scepter that Loki had, and. Gosh, I, I, I love how they just throw you right into it, the right into yep. all the action and basically where we left off with uh, Avengers. Yep, this great, you know, battle sequence, um, some pretty funny jokes, the language joke right there at the top. I mean, you know, and every, every one of them kind of has their moment where it kind of showcases them, you know, taking down some hydragoons. They definitely show as well that they understand each other's fighting styles and how to play off each other because you've got a lot of Thor and Cap, like him boosting him up or him hitting the shield or, you know, shooting lightning. Like they have that shows that they've worked together long enough now they can kind of be a better team or more efficient team. It's kind of like the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where we get a battle sequence right early on where it shows them all working together for a common goal. Got to have a tone setter. Um, Yeah. While they're doing this, though, they encounter two of Strucker's experiments. So the Maximoff twins that were, they were an in-credit scene, kind of showed them previously. So you have Petro, and then you have he's super superhuman speed, he's Quicksilver, and then you have Wanda Maximoff, who is Scarlet Witch, Elizabeth Olsen, and she has this telekinetic abilities and she can manipulate minds, project energy, and you know, eventually the Avengers break in the compound and Rogers he captures Strucker, and then Stark he retrieves the scepter, but 
Wanda implants this very, you know, just what's crazy about the vision is a lot of it comes true, but she fills them with so much fear about what might be to come. And what's crazy is how did they get the alien worm thing into this base? Is it because Hydra was infiltrating shield and they just stole it? Or I've always wondered that part. Oh, I I think so. I mean, um, I can't remember if there was anything in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that kind of pointed that out, but that had to have been it. I mean, they had all kinds of stuff in there. Oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, I mean, it's crazy. Maybe it looked, maybe they got it from Tombs from uh, from Spider-Man. Oh, true. He had one, too, and it just kind of disappeared. True. Um, so, the yeah, they, you know, they get the scepter. Wanda lets Stark take the scepter and, Uh, They get back at the team's headquarters in Avengers Tower, formerly Stark Tower, and Stark and Banner, they discover uh, that the gym, within inside the gym, is this AI system, and they discuss this plan of using it to complete what they've called Ultron, which is a global defense program, and, you know, they've had, after many failed attempts, they leave to go, you know, enjoy Revels, or, you know, the party, uh, that they're going to have inside with, with the rest of the team. And unbeknownst to them, though, as they're leaving, the program comes to life. I, I have a couple of things about this scene. Why is Banner so – he's so shocked about the, the concept of AI, but Jarvis is AI. Like, you have Jar- – that's an artificial intelligence. He seemed like it. that was so preposterous that they would even conceive that concept. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and, you know, he brings up Ultron like – you know, like we've been talking about him all this time before. And, you know, I, most people are probably like, well, who's Ultron? You know, what right. the heck are you talking about, man? Yeah, that, so, there was definitely no. I, of course, I skipped on the way to the Avengers Tower. I love the scene where Banner, after Natasha has talked Banner down, he, he asks, you know, is everything, how did I do? And Thor's like, Oh, people from hell are screaming your name, and they're like, eh. <laughs> "Yeah." Um, uh, this brings us to the unexpectedly sentient Ultron. He awakens, and believing that he must eradicate humanity to save the Earth, and you know, he just starts what we perceive is that he starts killing Jarvis, uh, because you know it's a threat to him, and so then he. He uploads into one of the Iron Legion drones, which is a broken one. Interesting choice. And he walks in on the Avengers at the, towards the end of their party. They're all celebrating. And it's a, it's an incredible entrance of a villain. Like one of my favorite entrances in terms of villains in the MCU of how he walks out and is just, his voice is so eerie and, and evil. Yeah. And he's over there quoting Pinocchio and, all, all this, I mean, it, it was, you know, say what you want about the movie. It's pretty cool how they do that, though, with him because he's just broken down, you know, but he's all over the internet and, you know, they don't realize then how bad it's going to be. Um, oh, yeah. Know. They have no idea what's going on at all. I mean, Tony has not told them any of this plan. So it's just like, it's, they even say, Stark, one of yours. And he's like, shut down, shut down. So yep, he really he really screwed the pooch on this one, didn't he? This uh, 
you know, fear is a, is a bad motivator and it led to some uh, interesting choices. Ultron attacks all of them. We get the scene with them all fighting to, um, they're fighting against the Iron Legion. One of them escapes the scepter. Ultron uses the resources and, and, and back, you know, all of a sudden, like you said, he uploads into the internet and shoots himself all the way across back to Sokovia to that base to start building a whole army of robots. And in fact, it turns out he's everywhere. He's stealing money. He's doing this. He's doing that just because he has access to everything. You think of how many of us are wired into the internet. It's it's he has everything at his disposal. In fact, he even kills Von Strucker and he recruits and meets up with the Maximoff twins who, which is great scene when Olsen or Scarlet Witch says, I, I can't read your mind. You know, I, you're a man. He's like, I am no man. And boom, he all of a sudden he's a nine foot tall robot. Yeah. And you know, throughout this whole movie and throughout this whole plot synopsis, there is no justice we can give to the dialogue that Ultron has. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's good dialogue and it's really well delivered by James Spader. And, um, man, I just, you know, going through the, going through the rundown here, I'm like, man, there's just so many, like the, the conversation with him and Wanda. I mean, oh, yeah. it's just so, you know, so eye opening. you know, we get to that later one with him and, and claw. I mean, just, man, I, I just kind of get chills thinking about the way it played out with, with him. Yeah, um, the, you talk about the dialogue in this sequence. He basically gets the Maximoffs to tell their story of why they hate Tony Stark so much and how he gets them to that point. You want to talk about great, a great writer. Joss Whedon did an excellent job of writing like this. Like I said, this is one of, going to be one of the most quotable movies for me when I was trying to just pick five. It was the toughest one. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. So... We get the Avengers are, you know, they're trying to figure out what's his next play and where, where's he going to go? What's going to happen? And this is where we finally get one of our first, um, like, I guess this is the second time in all of the Marvel universe that the term or Wakanda has shown up once in Iron Man two on the screen that Nick Fury is looking at. And then right here, uh, they're trying to figure out the next move. And they think about, oh, he wants to evolve. He wants to grow. And, um, you know, Tony talks about Ulysses Claw, an arms dealer that he once met. And he has to specify that, like, I didn't, I didn't deal with him. But he's got this tattoo on his neck. They translate it. It's from Wakanda. Boom. Immediately, Tony and Cap know that Vibranium comes from Wakanda. So they know. Right. You got to go find him. And And now we know about, you know... Of course, you know, I don't think either of us would consider ourselves comic book experts, but now we know the significance of Wakanda and, um, you know, really after Civil War and why that that's important. But until that time, I'm like, you know, that's just another one of those things that just blew right on past me. Um, now, the vibranium obviously was, was a key, key word for me because of Cap Shield and all that. But, um, you know, it's just, you know, you like we talked about you go back you watch it again you see something new every time oh for sure before the avengers get there uh we're in south africa or close to and wanda and petro they show up to basically try to intimidate claw but he's um 
he's not easily intimidated. In fact, he doesn't even care that she can manipulate his mind. He goes, I want to talk to the man in charge, and boom, Ultron throws him down. Uh, you get a great quote by Ultron. You get to see how temperamental Ultron is when he cuts off Klaus' arm. But eventually the Avengers will arrive, and we get a, you know, Tony and Ultron are battling, duking out, kind of a father-son relationship there. Um, and then the rest of the Avengers team is trying to stop the rest of Ultron's army, but Wanda slowly but surely manipulates every single one of them except Barton, who eventually knocks her down. Um, golly, I love how Thor's like, she could not, you know, she could not do that to me. And boom, instantly he's like in a vision caps and his little dance sequence vision. Uh, I mean, she's deadly when she does this. Yep. And I, I just thought those vision sequences there were just fascinating, you know, because we got to see with a lot of, you know, what makes Romanoff tick. Um, we got to see Peggy Carter and Steve Rogers vision. Um, Got to see Heimdall, a very different version of Heimdall in Thor's vision. Just, I mean, fascinating. I, 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 you know, I had to go back and watch it a second time on this rewatch here a few days ago. Just, I wanted to rewind it and see if there was something else I was missing. Oh yeah, I rewatched the Widow one to see if maybe there's gonna, if there's anything Easter egg in that that was alluding to the Black Widow movie that we're about to get. To Couldn't see. find anything, could you? No, I mean, I just like, I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Plus, but I, I bet there will be something, and we'll go back and be able to find it after you see the Black Widow movie. Oh, yeah, it always works that way. Uh, you know, but she, the big plan was the big one they wanted her to manipulate was, of course, Banner, who's sitting back at the Quinjet. And then, boom, Hulk goes on this rampage. And this is, I got to say, this is my favorite scene of the whole movie. It, it you really didn't need to be added for plot device. I guess it needed to be added for where they're going because it does help when we get into Civil War. You know, Tony launches the Hulkbuster from outer space and he has his giant suit and you get this huge fight between Tony and Banner. There's, de there's destruction everywhere. Uh, and this is the first time the world is going to start to take a little turn on how they feel about the Avengers or at least how they feel about Hulk. You know, I think this scene, the, the fight scene with, with Hulk and, and I'm not going to list it with his, my, on my favorites because you did, but it's worth the price of admission. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, it, and they, and they played it up pretty good in the, in the previews, you know, the Hulk buster and, um, so what an awesome suit. I mean, just, he had so many little tricks and gadgets and stuff. Obviously, I bet Banner helped him design the plan. Um, I've got more thoughts on the Hulkbuster suit, though, once we get to Infinity War and how I wish we could have had Hulkbuster and Hulkbuster and the Hulk suit working together, but um, didn't get to happen in that one. Nope. Nope, it didn't. Um you know, of course, the Avengers can't head back to Avengers Tower because, I mean, governments are asking for their heads, essentially. So Barton says he knows a safe house. And uh, they show up, and they're, boom. It's, he's got a family that Fury helped keep secret from everyone except Romanoff. 
Uh, great yeah, little Natasha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Auntie Nat. Uh, a fun scene because how shocked they all are uh, to see that he's got a family. And then I think it kind of opens up some of their eyes that they can have families or that they can have be more than just what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. It's a, it, that, I like the whole, you know, homestead kind of sequence anyway, but you get a lot of good, good uh, non-action dialogue there. A good scene there with Hulk and Cap chopping the wood, you know, the barn meeting with Fury. I mean, all of that, you know, is very, very helpful in moving the plot of the movie along. Yeah, Thor, though, he's the only one that can't stay because he needs some answers. So he consults his friend. We get Dr. Eric Selvig back again, and he wants to know what he was seeing in his apocalyptic visions and his hallucination. Uh, While that's happening, like you talked about, Romanoff and Banner, they discuss kind of their future together. Uh, and their mutual attraction, Tony and, and Cap, kind of you see some of the seeds of civil war planting about distrust between each other. Um, and then, boom, Nick Fury's back, and he encourages the team they got to fight back. they got to stop Ultron. He's been behind the scenes kind of doing his Nick Fury thing. It was great to get some more Samuel L. Jackson back in the mix. Yeah, and I've, I did you feel like him being back was a little bit of a surprise? I wasn't really expecting it when he showed up. Oh, yeah. Even on rewatch, I was like, oh, yeah, he does make an appearance in this. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Nick Fury fan. I like him. I like his, you know, just I like the way Samuel L. Jackson plays him. And when he shows up, I mean, he's usually in control of the situation. Very, very rarely is he not in control. So, um, cool, calm, and collected. Yes, sir. Always. In uh, in South Korea, uh, Ultron, he, he finds uh, Avengers friend or ally that had been shown earlier in the movie, uh, Dr. Helen Cho, and she uses this synthetic tissue technology uh, combined with vibranium and the scepter's gem. To, she's going to create basically a body for him. He wants this, this body, this, he wants to evolve. Um, he gets some help from, uh, Wanda to kind of talk her into helping and they're going to upload his consciousness or whatever his AI into this body. And Wanda is able to read the mind of the body because it has human or it has organic tissue. And she discovers that, that the plan is to annihilate humanity and she's horrified. And the Maximoffs now they're, they turn to good guys just on the boom instantly. And they join forces uh, with, you know, they, they're basically, she, they work together. They all start working with the Avengers because they're going to try to help the Avengers get this synthetic body because they can't have his consciousness in it. Um, you know, this whole scene all over uh, Soul, outside of uh, something I'll get into later with Natasha on the bike, You've got a ton of stuff. The Cap fighting with Ultron, doing the best he can, and when they're like, they're like, "Hey, keep him distracted." What do you think I'm trying to do? You know, and if Cap can can hold his own against an artificial being like Ultron, who, you know, why does he struggle against the the piddly dude at the beginning of Winter Soldier? Like he did, I, or- I don't know. He's getting bashed by a dude made of complete metal. 
It has laser beams and all kinds of stuff. And maybe he plays down to his competition, you know. Maybe he rises to the occasion when he has to. Maybe that's his flaw. It's a possibility. You know? I mean, a lot of people obviously always try to compare universes, and they, you know, it's obviously with Cap, you've got basically Superman as far as color scheme and being a leader of a group. And there, Superman had times where he would try to be not as powering. He didn't want to. He didn't want to punch them so hard he killed someone. So maybe Cap just tries to, uh, you know, he didn't want to just completely dominate everyone. I don't know, and. I guess you just kind of have to have struggle in the battle or it will look too easy. Yeah. I, you know, I, I thought he held his own against Ultron. So when yeah, you know, really enough. Ultron should have overwhelmed him. He did enough to distract him long enough that they, I mean, they get the body, they get the, the mission accomplished. Um, however, once again, Tony wants to, Give another shot at this whole AI thing. In fact, he shows Banner that Jarvis has been a, a, alive the whole time. That Jarvis has been protecting Ultron from the new, or protecting them from Ultron, hiding nuclear codes, been in the background. And he's like, let's do it. And he once again talks, which Banner's kind of a pushover. He just like goes along with everything. Uh, and they start doing it. But while this is going on, Wanda kind of tells Cap, like, um, you know, Stark's going to ruin everything. And uh, they start doing their thing and uploading Jarvis's AI into the body. You know, you've got the Infinity Stone. You've got this great the whole sequence. you got to love when Cap shows up. And you. this is like, this is, it's like Civil War. They basically started yep. Civil War right there in that moment. You know, my wife said the same thing. It all kind of set the tone. But... I think, you know, that even goes back to the first Avengers movie where they kind of, you know, clashed a little bit. This is, this is a big clash. And, you know, who knows where that, where it goes if Thor doesn't show up and, you know, hit, um, hit him with a lightning bolt. Which, are, you know, that's ultimately what it should come down to. The three of them all cast a vote and that's, you know, two to one, do whatever they, and, and in this instance... Thor sided with Tony only because of the vision he had in that water pool. For some reason, he thought, I need to make this work. What really makes the whole group kind of believe in this process is when Vision, now Paul Bettany, shows up and he looks at Thor and makes a sweet cape, uh, just picks up Mjolnir which we'll talk about that scene later. And, and now they're all like, yep, he's good. Let's go. Yeah. Um, I guess, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the existence of Vision in this movie was all kind of a secret, right? They never really revealed what they were going to do through the previews or it was all kind of kept under wraps. So it, I remember in the theater watch, I was kind of like, what is this? You right. know, and who is this? And, and why is this? And, um, you know, here he is holding the hammer. Dang, that was, you know? That was an interesting, <laughs> definitely an interesting touch for our listeners out there. Um, Vision, the actual superhero, in the comics, he is 
created by Hank Pym, who, like, who's that? Well, that is when we get into Ant-Man, the original Ant-Man is the person who um, created Vision. And yeah, he was a, like a, an android. And um, he was kind of like, you know, originally it was the same kind of concept to kind of help out the Avengers. Like that was kind of his, his goal. And he's tied in with Ultron um, as far as their arc within the comic book. So, it, you know, it's, it's like you said, if you don't go into this being a huge comic fan, everything catches you off guard. Yeah. And, oh, you know, that's just how it is with, with Vision. Um, spoiler, I'm glad I didn't fall in love. You know? <laughs> so... Um, yeah. Now, after this, though, they go to Sokovia, and when they get there, you know, Ultron is uses he uses the rest of the vibranium to he builds this machine that shoots the city skyward using magnets, and he's going to crash it back into the Earth. Which, if it gets high enough, it's going to destroy everyone. Which is just an I don't even know if that's the science behind that. That's just a so out there plan. Um, but we get to see, you know, the Avengers working together again and coming together again, like they did in the first movie. They're trying to get people out of Sokovia while fighting this robot army. You get Nick Fury arriving. You get to, uh, you get to see just one of my favorite sequences ever with Barton and and Romanoff. As far as dialogue, you even get Rhodey showing up. Um, it's it's what everything you want from an Avengers movie you get here as far as the Battle of Sokovia, but you'll get into one of your issues later. Uh, kind of a fun sequence. Yeah, I mean, you got a lot going on. You got um, different sort of, uh, you know, you got the theater going in inside that church. You got it outside of it. You have, you know, the things happening in the air beneath it. I mean, there's a lot a lot to take in there in the last 45 minutes of this movie. You even get a, another, the classic shot from the first Avengers where they all start circling up and then like in slow motion um, that I love that when they're trying to keep all the dro- the drones from touching the thing that drops Sokovia, they're all just peeing off on, on and they're, they're, wor- they're being superheroes. It's a, it's a great sequence. Yeah. I think so too. Uh, however, it doesn't go well for everyone. Um, during all of this, all the back and forth and trying to save people and get them onto these, uh, these boats. Uh, we know that Ultron, he can't escape cognitively because he has no more attachment to the internet, but Barton goes to save a young boy. Ultron's in the Quinjet because he kind of ran, he's, he's running out of options and he fires about, 800 rounds down onto the earth or down to the Sokovia and Quicksilver flies in and he saves Barton, but at the cost of his own life. So just like that Quicksilver taken from us. Yeah. And you know, if you think about the, the, if he doesn't make the save there, well, who gets killed? Well, Barton does, you know, that would have been a lot harder to take, I think, than. Oh um, yeah. I would have, I mean, so but- would have been nice. Been, if one would've... of them has to die, you know, 
We'll we'll take Petro there, I guess. I like steaks. It had, but they just killed Barton right there after he told his wife he was done and coming back. That would have been incredible. Um, Ultron, though, he doesn't stay in the Quinjet long because the Hulk leaps into it, <laughs> throws him out. And I oh, love, for God's sakes! Yes, <laughs> is that what he said? Yes, and he's left for you know he's there. Uh, and Wanda just goes off on him for killing her brother. Um, and while she's doing that, though, she leaves the device unattended. And one of the drones finally gets to the machine. The city begins to plummet back to Earth. Uh, but Stark and Thor, you know, Tony, Tony's great at coming up with plans and help using his AI. Now he's got Veronica and comes up with this plan, and him and Thor, boom, they, they basically destroy all of the floating city. Uh, the Vision, he he saves Wanda. Uh, the Hulk, which this will show back up in Rag- Ragnarok, he doesn't engage, you know, he doesn't, he, he thinks he's bad for Natasha. He thinks he's bad for Earth, in most part, and he just lets the Quinjet keep flying. And then Ultron, you know, he transports himself into one last drone, who Vision confronts and ultimately destroys. I have a questions corner thing about this one last body thing. Um, but, you know, they're very similar in regards to being AI, but they have very different outlooks on humanity. Yeah, I, I have questions about the, the one last drone thing too. In that, is it really the last drone or can we find some way for him to come back? You know, Why wouldn't he point? just, right? He, you know, he's a the sentient AI. You'd think he would have some plan other than just like letting them just destroy everything. Like have a backup plan for him to get his mind out. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll we'll see. I mean, you know, I I, I think James Spader was too good in this role, and Ultron was too good of a villain to be just a one shot pony. Yeah. You know. True. So we'll see. Uh, later at the Avengers, they've established this new base in upstate New York. Uh, it's run by Nick Fury, Maria Hill, Dr. Cho's there, Selvig's there, uh, Barton, he's done. He's going to return home to his family. Uh, Thor returns to Asgard to learn more about the forces which he suspects have manipulated a lot of the recent events and everything that's tied to the Infinity Stones. Uh, Stark also leaves, and you get Rogers and Romanoff, they're going to train this new team of Avengers. There's Rhodey. There's Vision. There's Maximoff. And uh, wait, what? There's Sam Wilson Falcon? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you'll get into that later. mid credit scene shows Thanos, who is just disgusted that all of his pawns couldn't help him get the Infinity Stone, so he puts on the Infinity Gauntlet, which at that time we did not have any idea of what – great of an impact it was going to have on this universe no idea just you know and not really realizing that he was behind the controls to try and get the stones and um well you know in in thor's vision when you watch it i mean you see all the stones in space mm-hmm. it, it looks like a glove in the sky yeah. it's uh i mean all the little things you catch right Yep, that's right. It's hard to do it on the first watch, though. You got to be really, really sharp. Yes. And I am not sharp. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Into favorite moments, favorite quotes. 
So we're going to talk about some of our scenes, some of the quotes we love, and we love a lot of the quotes here. Um, I'm, my first one is I love when they're all trying to pick up Mjolnir uh, and they're all having a great time. And then the tone of the movie immediately shifts so quickly and slow, so flawlessly to Ultron walking out looking like a zombie, which there is an Iron Man zombie comic. I think that's what they were kind of going for. It's just a great overall sequence. Yeah, I mean, what I really liked there was kind of the lightheartedness when they were all trying to pick up uh, the hammer and, um, you know, and, and boy, the first time I saw this in theater, I questioned, did it budge when, when Cap had it? You know, and there's theories out there that, he could have lifted it, but didn't want to, to show up, you know, Thor and, um, you know, I don't know about that, but yeah. So that, that's also one that I wrote down, um, in the Ultron scene too. I mean, just, you know, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go just slightly before your scene, the Ultron birth with Jarvis, I thought was really interesting because you, know, you had all this visual stuff happening no no humans just lots of voices and I, I thought that was a cool scene that was different than what you're used to yeah why do you call him sir but that was it was good and another theory on the hammer scene is that cap couldn't lift it because he knew that bucky had murdered stark's parents and he was hiding it from him hmm. what a jerk on to uh I I have the Nat slash banner scene at um, Barton residence where they're discussing a future together. How neither one of them can have kids, and you get just these deep insights. But um, Cap and Stark, the cutting wood scene is a yeah. You love any back and forth or any moments you can get with those two. Yeah, um, my favorite line of that is when. Stark says, you know, don't, don't touch my pile. And Cap's got this huge pile of wood and Stark's is just real small. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that was a great scene. A lot of good insight there about what's really, really hit, um, happened. And then just right after that, you know, Stark goes into the barn and then there's Fury and, you know, then the scene extends into the house with Fury. I mean, just a, a really an overall great sequence there of, of good, knowledge that you need to have going on with the rest of the movie agreed um and then i guess i'll go this is my number one i'm just gonna go ahead and stay i know you owe it to the hulkbuster scene just oh, yeah. that fight and all the quotes that go along with it and you know tony do how quick can i buy this building and then boom just drops a missile on it on top of or throws the hulk on through it's just it was it was the best. It's one of my favorite suits in all of the universe in regards to mock whatever it is for Tony. The Hulkbuster has got it. Yeah. It's just a fabulous, you know. I, my opinion is anytime we can get Hulk fighting someone as big as him and as powerful as him is great. So even in the Hulk movie where he's fighting Abomination, I liked it. I mean, that's what I came to see a Hulk movie for is for Hulk. True. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a really good one. I would have had it if you had not had it. Um, I'm going to go to the the scene where Cap 
Widow and Thor are all bewitched by the Scarlet Witch. I mean, that's just, it was just really well done. I mean, it was like, you know, it was creepy good. Great transitions into it from where they're walking mm-hmm. to the, like, the new world they show up in. Yep. Um, I've got Vision lifting Mjolnir. Just so so nonchalantly, he's having that discussion with them. He's trying to talk them into the fact that he can help. He wants to help. He has hopes for humanity. They're still questioning it. And he just, whoop, here you go. Let's let's do this. It's, and then you know, it leads to some funny quotes later on in the movie um, with the, the elevator thing about, oh, the elevator can take it up, but just – the look on their faces when he grabs it. And for a viewer, you're like, oh, this guy's worthy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one that we both caught on here is, uh, you know, the the Sokovia battle. And I've got some problems with the Sokovia battle too, but it's really, um, there's a lot there. You, I, I think you had something really specific about the Sokovia battle for your favorite. The Hawkeye speech. I mean, he's got the funny thing about, which is will be in, in quotes uh, that I'll say here in a second. But the main thing when he tells, you know, when he's like, when you step out there, you're an Avenger. That, like, what a, as a coach, that is the best pregame speech on the fly, yeah. in the moment. I have chills just repeating it right here as we give the pod. Yeah, and kind of inspirational for sure. And then you then you lead right into your quote from from that, right into it. So when when they're ducking down in there and you know she's questioning everything, he's like, "The city is flying, and we're fighting an army of robots." And I have a bow and arrow. Nothing makes sense. That's <laughs> and, you know, as a viewer, you've always wondered that. Like, there's aliens. There's all these stuff going on, and he's just got a bow and arrow, but holds his own. Yeah. My first quote. I'm gonna go with. Um, and really it's several of these cause, but every time Ultron is, you know, just kind of singing to himself, you know, I've got no strings, but now I'm free. There are no strings on me. I, you know, it's just creepy. I love it. Oh yeah. Everything from Pinocchio. Just loved it. I can't, <laughs> it's like a child, a children's movie. I don't know how to, he just like been brought into the world. And that's one of the first things he can think of. Well, and uh, I go back to the trailer that they had. They had a really good trailer for it um, where they're playing a very demented sounding children's song. For, you know, I've got no strings. Um, they play that in the trailer. It was, it was just um, kind of scary, right? Yeah. Um, kind of like that song they play in the Suicide Squad trailer or you know, some of these others where it's just like you can feel the madness creeping in. Um, great. I, I thought it was a real good job of incorporating that whole theme in. Yeah, so many great Ultron quotes, uh, which the next one, it's an Ultron quote, but apparently it's a Tony Stark quote that he uses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. And now, so are you, but I always say, keep your friends rich and your enemies rich and wait to find out which is which. And, and you know, that would be a classic Tony quote. Yeah. And just well delivered. I mean, you know, 
I don't really know what else to say other than just, you know, it's just really funny. I, it did sound like Tony Stark, the way he said it. And that's his creator. So, of course, he's going to keep some of those uh, Starkisms in him. What's speaking, the of to- speaking of Tony Stark, I'm going to throw him a bone here. Um, when he, um, he says, actually, he's the boss, talking about Captain America. I just pay for everything and design everything, make everyone look cooler. Uh, that was a real <laughs> funny, funny line. It is true. That, I mean, you think they all went to Tony's funeral at the end of Endgame because they realized that their cash cow had left them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my next quote is a Tony quote. In the midst of the battle with Hulk, he has that like machine that just makes his fists repeatedly. That way he doesn't have to swing his arm. It just continuously beats down on Hulk's face, and he just goes, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. I, I, I wanted this when you already had it down there, but I know. cracked up on rewatch when when this happened. That, that's um, <laughs> kind of out of nowhere. You didn't really expect that one, but um, I like when Fury says that Ultron. He's a guy that's multiplying faster than a Catholic rabbit. That was. <laughs> that's a. I mean, Nick Fury. That would, out of anyone, that definitely would be a quote that they think that was made for him. Um, my next one, it's Ultron again. And he says, there were more than a dozen extinction level events before even the dinosaurs got theirs. When the earth starts to settle, God throws a stone at it. And believe me, he's winding up. It, a lot Love of it. <laughs> religious quotes used by Ultron. Like he even quotes, uh, you know, Christ when he, he says, you know, on this rock, I'll build my church. It's yeah. very interesting. I mean, I'm telling you, just very, very good. Um, I like when he said, when Ultron says, everyone creates the thing they dread. Men of peace create engines of war. Invaders create Avengers. People create, Smaller people, <laughs> children, <laughs> lost the word there. Children designed to supplant them, to help them end. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, just good, good. And then my last one, it's uh, it's while Tony and, and Cap, they're bantering and they talk about, uh, you know, doing it together and, and, and all those things will come up later on in the universe but the ultimate one for me is when he goes that's the end game and you think about four years later when that's the name of the movie like i want they they couldn't have known they couldn't have known uh there's no telling be a great great piece be a great question to ask you know the the guys if you ever had a chance to um yeah my last one is when cap and I forget when it was in the movie, but he says, I really miss the days when the weirdest thing science ever created was me. That, yeah, that was, he's got a lot of, he's, I mean, he's, he's funny. There's so, there so many quotable lines in this movie. It may have been oversaturated with them, but when it comes to Ultron, I don't think so. I mean, just about everything he says is useful and, and, and important. You yeah. Know? that there, there's a lot of villains that have great quotes throughout the universe, but he for sure has such a 
great. It's just, I mean, it goes back to the writing of the movie. Uh, Doctor Strange, what if universe where we discuss casting possibilities or who we would have cast instead? Um, only really have one because of so many people coming back. Uh, instead of us getting Elizabeth Olsen, we had a Lindsay Lohan audition. Thank God that didn't work out. <laughs> and then Sarah Reese Ronan, uh, she played in Little Women, Lady Bird, Lovely Bones, Atonement. She's been in a ton of great movies. Um, Little Women recently getting an Academy Award nomination. Lady Bird, same thing. Uh, but, you know, the only, my only thing with Elizabeth Olsen is if you're going to make the character with that Eastern European type accent, you might have wanted to try to find someone because it's, I don't think, I think it actually changes and, and doesn't sound as forced later on, but uh, and I'm fine with Elizabeth Olsen as, as Scarlet yeah, Witch. I am too. I mean, I, I don't know enough about the other person that, well, well, I'm with you on the Lindsay Lohan part, but I'm not familiar enough with uh, Ronan and all her movies. So, you know, you just, I take what I get with Elizabeth Olsen, I guess. I do like on the James Spader note is the only choice Joss Whedon for him because of the hypnotic voice that can be eerily calm and compelling while also being very human and humorous. I think that's a perfect encapsulation of, of how Spader sounds. Knocked it out of the park. I mean, you know, that that's, you know, if, if this movie had one great thing, it's that a great villain and Josh, we- Josh Whedon absolutely hit a home run with James Spader's Ultron. Oh, yeah. Um, we're now into the Tony Stark questions corner. The why, the what, that doesn't make sense, the plot holes. I'll let you start us off. I'm not even sure this is a – I think this fits under the why and it doesn't make sense. not really a plot hole, but – why does Vision suck so bad from here on out in every single movie? I mean, he's this great creation, and he's just basically worthless after this. I His best moment after this is making spaghetti sauce. <laughs> he gets taken down so easily in Infinity War. He's not really a help for Team Tony in Civil War. I agree with you. It's insane. We get all this build up. He literally has an infinity stone in his head, yet he's never overpowering ever again. And yet, and Scarlet Witch, I understand that she grows because she learns to control her powers, but it's like the vision could have been so much more. And from this point on, he is not. I agree. Yep. Uh, my first one why? So Banner steps out of that Quinjet and he's like, is this a code green? And it's like, why even bring him if you're not just, just go ahead and bring the Hulk. I mean, what are you, what's he going to do out in the Quinjet? What good is he out there? If you're going in there, you know, there's going to be a fight. You bring your starters and they just try to leave him on the bench all the time. Just let the Hulk do his thing. Yeah, I, no, I agree. Um, what's the point, you know, if you're not going to have him do his thing, you know, what, what good does he do you? Um, if you can't use him. What's your next one? Uh, 
Veronica. Where do they get Veronica from? I, mean, I guess you have an answer for that. I, I, you know what? I actually do have one for that on a uh, interview I read with Joss Whedon. So here was his, here was his take on it. So <laughs> you got to remember that Banner, Bruce Banner, helps uh, Tony create some of these AIs. So in naming it, I don't know if you were a fan of the Archie comics. Uh, you have the new show on on Netflix called Riverdale that basically builds off of their names, but there's a Betty and there's a Veronica. If you remember, Banner's woman oh, that yeah. was Betty Ross, so that Whedon says they created Veronica because that would be the opposite and that would be the, um, the him moving on, That's which yeah. I guess also explains the romance with Romanoff. Okay, gotcha. Um, I guess my next question would be, uh, and since I'd already talked about the Hulk, what is Hulk's vision? What do you think Wanda plants in his head to make, what is he seeing? I wish I would have, I would have loved to have seen that just a glimpse inside what, what it's like for the Hulk to experience the world around him. What, what made him snap into the Hulk in that moment? Cause he was, he was banner yeah. and all of a sudden he's Hulk terrorizing. Yeah. What did she show him that? be a great question um i think you've got this somewhere down the line too but we never get that banner romanoff romance that they tease so badly you know she kisses him pushes him off the off the the ledge and that's about it you know yeah it's one of those things that they they i don't know it's like it's almost too forced and it never happened yeah. Um, I've got one. And speaking of those visions, is Barton just that much quicker than everyone else on reflexes? Like she gets Thor, she gets Cap, she gets Widow, but not Hawkeye. He, I mean, he even says it. I've been, you know, mind control before, not this time, but he's all over it. His reflexes are so spot on. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe he's just pretty, pretty sharp cat. He's got a good eye. Sure. We know that from, but um, as far as we know, there's nothing really superhuman about him. Right. He's got, he's, I mean, he's just, uh, he's like Romanoff, I guess, just an agent, but yeah. I mean, he's got to have the good reflexes, I guess, for how, I mean, his hand-eye reflexes, obviously with how well he shoots the arrow. So at the beginning of the movie, did Cap steal his bike from the Smithsonian? It kind of looked like he did. I think so. like has to be. It's just, it's it's the motorcycle. I don't know. I mean, maybe he, I think he just throws it at one of the tanks or whatever and just destroys it. So yeah. So maybe so, they've just I don't know. He bought a replica. or Tony bought him some bikes. To interesting choice to use the bike. Yeah, I, you know, it's a good callback to the first one though. Mm-hmm. It's snowing just like it was in that. Um, my question is, is Stark liable for all the damage that gets done when the Avengers fight? Because it's the Avengers Tower, but everyone knows it was Stark Tower. Tony is funding literally everything. So when they have you know, the Hulk fight and you have all this collateral damage, is, is Tony the one that gets sued and has to fit the bill? I know maybe makes, so. 
Maybe that's why he's so, you know, we got to be in check in civil war. You know, maybe that's why. They don't go bankrupt. He's wanting government backing, you know, for everything that they do so that he's not liable. Good businessman. That's what it sounds like to me. What's your, what's one of yours? Last one for me. Uh, Did Falcon just get the day off during the Sokovia battle? You know, because he's in the movie early and we don't see him again till the end. Maybe they snapped his appearance in the final battle. Maybe he was there and they just snapped it. It's crazy because Rhodey gets to be in it. Oh, Rhodey. And Falcon just left at home, I guess, that day. And they even show Falcon later on at the end. It's like, why did you put him at the end scene if you didn't use him in the end battle? Why did you use him at all if you weren't, you know, if you you went to all the trouble to have him in the movie? Yeah. Originally, this was going to be where they revealed uh, Captain Marvel, but they decided to go another direction. I'm kind of glad they did. Uh, my last one would be when did why does Tony have so many AIs that he can like when and when did he make there's so many of them like, to choose from. I it was in it was in Iron Man four. We just didn't get to see that one. Ah yes, with uh, with along with having the Iron Legion back. At least this time they were actually could like do some damage. Yeah. On for to, all you for all you folks out there, there is no Iron Man four. Yeah, don't fall for his his Scarlet Witch wizardry over there. He's just making a joke at the expense of our intro in Iron Man 3. On to the snap. What would you snap from this movie? I've got uh, some. My, one of my first ones, I wrote it in all caps on my notes, is Widow's dialogue while on the motorcycle. She's going like 50 miles per hour, and she's making jokes that no one's going, no one could hear any of that. It's just, it didn't need to be part of this. I know they're trying to make it like tossing humor. Just let it be a motorcycle. One of the best parts about the dark Knight is when Batman's on, you know, the bat pod and he's racing through the streets and just use sound effects, use sound editing. You don't have to have her saying, excuse me, excuse me. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I am, you know, we've talked about how I want to snap killing Quicksilver, but I mean, I guess they need that to, to send Wanda over the edge to, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm snapping vision, lifting the hammer. <laughs> it was funny, but come on, man. I mean, you know, he's worthy to lift the hammer and then he's just, you know, maybe if we'd had a better vision from here on out, maybe I wouldn't snap that, but you know, it is, it is what it is. It, we, and this is what we get. And True. hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm snapping him, lifting the hammer. I'm snapping. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm just gonna snap both the maxima. I guess I can't do that. I'm snapping Quicksilver. You didn't even really have to introduce them as a pair. I know they set it up for that. I would have loved had they worked out a deal where they just the they just the guy from X Men had shown. It would have made sense as far as brother and sister part. Yeah. Um, but God, I just and Aaron Taylor Johnson, he's a good actor too. I just I thought they could have done more with the character. You could have done a lot of cool stuff. That's a, a that's an incredible ability to have. You have a upper hand on almost anyone, and they wasted it. They wasted even on the train scene when he's saving people. You could have made that look so better, and it wasn't better. It wasn't better. Yeah. 
I am snapping about 15 minutes off the Sokovia battle. It's just a long scene. There's just so much going down. I feel like it, it gets bogged down a bit. And by the end of it, you're just like, oh, thank God they're done. You know, so I, that's, that's my final snap for Age of Ultron. I like that one. They had too much time trying to save or get everyone off instead of just fight. I get fight the fighting piece. So I, I'm on that same, I'm kind of, I'm snapping Ultron's plan. What is that? I'm not a scientist, so I don't know. Obviously creative artistic license, you know, the vibranium's not real. So the whole floating thing could be used, but just a very strange concept for a villain's master plan, especially when it's an artificial intelligence robot. I guess that's why it's so elaborate. I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, oh, I knew I did have another snap. I I didn't um I didn't write it down. But I'm snapping Eric Selvig from this movie. I mean, dude, I, I'm did, with what, you. what did he do except show up? The vision pool thing. That whole. Oh, thing, I know, but yeah, I mean, that leads into one of your snaps. That's just cut Selvig, cut Thor in the vision pool. What like so? There's just this random like little grotto. Yeah in a cave somewhere on earth that can just do whatever that is. This was just have him go back to Asgard and talk to somebody. I hate to say it, but you could just snap Thor altogether from this movie, all 14 minutes of him. And you know, other than him helping Tony with the final plan, it's there's not. And and of course, helping with the power source for vision, but yeah, it's, it was a rough movie for Thor. That's okay. It gets better. It gets way better. Uh, the last one for me is the Hulk Widow romance. You had no background. So we had nothing that alluded in any other movie other than at the beginning at the party, all of a sudden they're having a, like a mild flirtation. And then we ultimately get no payoff ever. I would have preferred them just stick the course with Winter Soldier and kept her in cap as an item. Like this was... This was a red herring. Like this had <laughs> this ended up being nothing. Yeah. Oh well, you know it happens sometimes. We did say this movie had problems. So. True. We did. We did. Uh, what didn't have a problem was the villain. So we're on to the villains Hall of Fame. I have our guy, Ultron. I have him at number, and you're gonna have him higher. I have a feeling, but I have him at number eight. Uh. Got no strings on me. Just so eerie. Exceptional. I mean, that's a top ten performance. I mean, and that's and when I when we get to who's above him at some point throughout the uh, gauntlet, you know, I'll explain why he's lower than them. But he's exceptional at this specific villain. He gives like there's a like this gravitas, like this bravado about him. He's got the swagger. He enunciates everything so well. I loved him. I, I, you know, and it's obviously I would love him. I love Tony and he's essentially the child of Tony Stark. So I have him at eight. You know, I've got him at number four. Woo! And I'm wondering if I didn't want to go even higher, but we're going to leave him at number four above ego at number five. Man. And I'm all in on Ultron. So um, I don't have anything to say other than that, except that, you know, Really, really good job by James Spader. Makes the movie. 
So all that's missing from your top five is your number one and your number three. Nice. Um, I mean, that takes us to our infinity rank. Where do you rank this movie? Well, you know, I, I always do another evaluation after every one of these. Is it, do I have it in the right spot? And I think I do have Age of Ultron in the right spot. Coming in at number 11, right in front of your Iron Man, and right behind, um, well, I Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at number 9. So uh, we'll see what number 10 is. I know what it is. But number 11, Age of Ultron. We are pretty dang close. I have it at 12, so not my top 10. This is a good movie, but good. I always say this as a coach. Good is the enemy of great. And oh, there yeah, some, I knew you were going to say that. There are some great ones, man. There are some great ones uh, uh, that are still yet to come or that I believe are better. This movie's fun, and it throws in an abundance of all the things we love about MCU films, like... Uh, all of the, the either the beginning fight or the end fight, I think at times it tries to overexert itself in like character building. Some of the sequences we get um, are something you might see in like a drama movie other than a comic book movie. I, I enjoy some of those scenes, but I think that bogs it down when you compare it to its predecessor, which is why we put Avengers uh, in our top two because of that never ending pace. And this kind of has a different, it's all over the, place and in, in regards to pace but i love spader it's a movie i'll rewatch for sure um and like i said there's just so many other movies i mean this comes in at 12 for me i still haven't revealed my 11 my 10 my 9 my 8 my 6 you know there's a lot above it uh, i have this just above captain america first avenger and and there's many other movies yet to come that are gonna i mean this there's only three movies that I have ranked worse than this yet to come. So we've got a lot of great movies out there. Awesome. You know, and I, we talk a lot about, you know, the continued character development, how a lot of these people get better and better and better as the series goes on. I feel like we've got a lost opportunity with Ultron. Can you imagine how much better he would have gotten if, if they had kept him on? I once, and I, I don't know how you felt, when Endgame was coming around, and Infinity War, I thought in some weird reality, every villain would show back up in some, like you'd have an ultimate battle between <laughs> like Thanos goes back in time and gets all of the, all of their nemesis. They all just, and they would be great for Ultron to be part of that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, thoughts from our wives. Um, of course she enjoyed the shirtless Hemsworth with his rocked up back and the vision pool. But I think she actually enjoyed the uh, the Hulk Iron Man sequence because it's one of, regardless of who you are and, and if you're your comic person or not, it's something you can't keep your eyes off of because it's just this constant action yeah. on steroids. <laughs> um, limited uh, limited space sequences too. Some you know right. Yeah. She can handle the Veronica coming down to send the Hulk Buster. I'm sure. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's it's the space thing she seems she deems that are almost too unrealistic. I mean there are satellite dishes, so we'll we'll you know we'll give them some leeway on that one. What did Amy have to say? She really liked Ultron, the the character of Ultron. She really sympathized, and she 
she agreed with Jarvis and, and vision about how he's hurting. And, you know, she really, really enjoyed, uh, that part of it. Uh, she didn't feel like it kind of got bogged down a little bit with the action sequences at the end. And, but, you know, um, I'll take her really getting into the Ultron character and, and just uh, try and build from there. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, ultimate letdowns for me, it's vision from here on out. Like we've touched on. And, oh, definitely. And it's Quicksilver not living up to the X-Men one. I love the X-Men one so much. And this wasn't, this wasn't even close to it. You know, I, the, the letdowns are hard for me. Um, something let me down about this movie the first time I saw it. And I think it was because it wasn't the first one. It didn't have the magic of the first one, even with the great Ultron, you know, there was just something that, that was let down and I can't put my finger on what it was. I don't think it was vision. And I don't think it was Quicksilver. Um, you know, I, I honestly just don't know what it was, but it didn't have it. And yeah. oh, I get, I understand what you're saying. Um, and maybe it was the, the concept of the Sokovia battle and the, the city floating on top, you know, like who cares about Sokovia, you know, let's, let's go to New York city where, where I really care about what happens, you know, or like, a um, D, or, or I know we'd already been in Washington DC, take it to, I don't know, take it yeah. to LA, take it to somewhere. Definitely. You know, maybe that was somewhere real. Yeah. Um, final thought for me, you know, I got it ranked at number, uh, number 11. Um, I had fun rewatching it. Um, there are a lot of really fun parts to it. Um, it's not as good as the first one. It's not as good as the next two with all the Avengers in it. And, and, um, but it has its place. As you said, it does set up the, a lot of the future storylines from here to come from, and, um, you know, so, um, watch it, you know, it's important. There's a lot of things that you learn in this movie and, you know, just don't expect it to be the excellence of the first one or the third or fourth. I think that's a great take. I think that encompasses everything I kind of think about this movie. Um, it's, it's enjoyable. It's entertaining. It has a lot of things you love. It's just, you know, it's not, it's not ever going to be the first one. Um, next time on the MCU gauntlet, we'll be diving into 2015's Ant-Man starring, is that Brian Fantana? Oh, I'm sorry. That's Paul Rudd. Uh, Evangeline Lilly from Lost, uh, Corey Stoll from House of Cards, Michael Pena, who is a delight in the movie, and the famous Michael Douglas in Ant-Man. I'm Luke Shoemaker. He's Graham Thomas. Thank you for listening to the MCU Gauntlet. Oh, I'm Ant-Man. I know. It wasn't my idea about cell block d his wife had just filed for divorce and i was like damn homie she dumped it when you're on lockup and he was like yeah i know i thought i was gonna be with her forever but now i'm all alone and i was like damn homie you know what you gotta chin up because you'll find a new partner but you know what i'm Luis, and he says you know what i'm scotty and we're gonna be best friends